Well, take your Bible and turn to Matthew. We're going to stay in our, in our series in Matthew chapter 27. So if you'll stand in honor of God's word this morning, Matthew in chapter number 27. Like I mentioned, you know, a message on Thanksgiving, not just specifically that, um, but certainly had a lot to do with that, that I'd, I had thought about even preaching this morning. By the way, tonight, Brother Brian Wells, is, I've asked him to preach. He's, he has uh, just been called to be the pastor of the Choctaw Baptist Church down in Idabel, Oklahoma. And Brother Brian's been faithful through the years of preaching the sixth grade, just directly below us, the sixth grade junior church. And all my sons have said, Dad, he's a great preacher. And I've heard him preach. He's a, he is a great preacher. You'll be blessed. And so I'm not surprised that God has called him to pastor. He's going to be taking that responsibility. Already has that responsibility. He's going to be moving down there. So I wanted you to hear him and for our church, even just to get behind him and be an encouragement to him even as he goes. He, they've been such a blessing uh, here. So that'll be tonight. But as I thought about this morning and I thought about, you know, just a little bit of a carryover from Thanksgiving. And I thought about even the words of Paul who said, you know, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, which means basically this, there's no way I can put all this into words. But where, where we are in our series, I think fits for the day because we're at the cross. And we ought to thank God for what he did at the cross. So I want to stir you up by way of remembrance as, as scripture often does just to be thankful. But then also, uh, there are those here that maybe this would be the first time to hear the gospel perhaps, or maybe you've heard it before, but there may be someone here that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, sure would love to see someone trust Christ even this morning. That would be a great blessing. So we're going to be in Matthew 27. And um, in verse number 26, it tells us that Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified. And then what we covered last time, and I'm, I'm not going to do a lot of review here this morning just for the sake of time, but from verse 27 through verse number uh, 44 is Jesus making his way to the cross, carrying his cross, um, had already been beaten uh, nearly to the point of death, a uh, great amount of loss of blood, spent the night awake, tiredness, fatigue sets in. So the Roman soldiers called on a man named Simon from North Africa to carry his cross. So they make their way to the cross. And then what we looked at last time was the disingenuous coronation of their king. And Matthew calls attention to this more than any other gospel that, that Jesus was the king of the Jews. In fact, our series here in in Matthew has been, Jesus is king. And what you read about in these verses would be the mockery of Jesus as king. The soldiers took first turn as they robed him with a uh, soldier's garment that looked like a king's robe, and they mocked him as the king of the Jews. They placed the crown of thorns upon his head. They gave him a uh, a, a rod or a, a reed that was like a scepter and then they beat him with that and they spit upon him and they, and they bowed before him disingenuously saying, hell, king of the Jews. And then the Jews got in on it, the chief priest and, and the rulers of the Pharisees and others, they too mocked their king and 
said things like, if he be the king, let him save himself. He saved others. He can't save himself. They mocked him. They mocked him. At any instant, Jesus could have obliterated the whole of humanity for that matter. But for three hours, he hung there in full view and shame and mockery. But in that sixth hour that we read of now in verse number 45, which would be noon, the earth went totally dark. We read about it in verse number 45. Read with me if you would. It says, um, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So from noon until three in the afternoon. Three hours, darkness. Verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them which stood, that stood there when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed or a long staff and, and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias or Elijah, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain or in two pieces. This is what happens after Jesus died. It was rent in twain. Notice this, please. From the top. To the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. You say, does it matter? It matters immensely. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent or split in two and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after the, his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. And we'll, we'll conclude our reading there. Verse 57 through 66 speaks of the burial of Jesus. And I, I love the words of Pilate when he said, set a watch, you have a watch, go your way. Make it as sure as you can. Now, I think he meant it one way, but uh, make it as sure as you can. Just go ahead. <laughs> That's, I almost want to take it that way. 
try as you may. <laughs> that's not how Pilate meant it. But that's what they tried to do. Make it as sure as you can. And yet he came forth alive. This morning, I sure need God's help. Sure want God's help on it. As we consider this title, the magnitude of what happened when Jesus died. Would you think about that with me here this morning? The magnitude. The magnitude of what happened when Jesus died. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. <clears throat> I know I've mentioned this before, but this past summer, Angie and I were blessed to visit Pearl Harbor. It had been a longtime goal of, of mine and just uh, wanting to be there, having... I love for history. I don't consider myself a great historian, but I enjoy it. And uh, along with that trip to Pearl Harbor, we were able to visit the USS Missouri, the battleship which really became the flagship towards the end of the, of the war, World War II, and was named in honor of the state from which the president was, was from, uh, Harry S. Truman. And, and so... Um, but we stood, they've, they've got a marker, some of you maybe have been there, but they've got a, a, a spot on the deck where the signing took place that ended World War II. The USS Missouri, uh, the Mighty Mo, as it's often called, is, is, uh, was out in the Tokyo Harbor. There's a lot of symbolism. I, I didn't, actually, I didn't take it all in. I didn't catch it all. I, this came from a little bit of study and preparation just for this introduction, but uh, there was a lot of symbolism that was there present that day. And, and, uh, but you know, it was, it was quite a moment to stand there realizing that in this location, the signing of this document, this, this uh, surrender, um, this surrender ceremony, the instrument of surrender, at that very moment, I mean, that, that was a moment that, that changed world history um, and continues to shape it uh, from that moment forward. And, and really, a lot of history had culminated. Are, are you following what I'm saying right here? Just the, I was trying to take in the magnitude of what, what that moment meant. And, but there were, there were two flags that were on the, on the Mighty Mo that day. One was the flag that flew at our nation's capital, on December the 7th, 1941. So that flag was present. But there was also another flag uh, that was a banner that goes back to 1853. 1853. And this one was flown when, when, uh, when an American Commodore named Matthew Perry, some of you know the, the history there, is he came into uh, Tokyo, in the, the Tokyo Bay. So this was this is uh, years later, obviously, but a very momentous occasion then when really it was opening Japan up to America and, and the U.S. and other countries as well. So these two flags were there, one looking back at the past and one really as a, as a statement. It was, it was there in a very prominent place saying we believe that there's a future. Yes, this is the past and and one eye, as one man said, one eye towards the past and one eye towards the future. And, and there on September the 2nd, 1945, um, this date that brought, as, as, uh, 
as is recorded, the bloodiest conflict in human history to an end. At 9.02, Douglas MacArthur, General Douglas MacArthur gave the speech and and then you had the signing of the foreign minister representing the emperor of Japan as, as he signed that instrument of surrender. And then the, the chief of the army of Japan as he signed. And, and then the supreme allied commander, General Douglas MacArthur, signed uh, along with others representing these countries, China, uh, United Kingdom, USSR, uh, Australia, Canada, France, Netherlands, and New Zealand. I mean, all these delegates were there. You follow what I'm, what I'm saying? And I believe it was 3,000 people that were lined there. It was very silent. I watched. You can actually see the footage of it. And you can see all these, uh, these proceedings as these individuals are signing. And then General MacArthur famously said this at the very end. These proceedings are now closed. In other words, it's finished. In the particular video that I watched about this occasion, I, I love newsreels from that time period. You know, I don't, I don't know. There's just something unique about them. But the, some of our, our, our war sh uh, planes flew over at that moment when it was signed. And, and this particular newsreel said, the war is over. Peace is here. Now, I, I wish that that had settled it all. But in many ways, that just set off another series of conflicts. War is over. Peace is here. But nonetheless, to take nothing away from that, it was a, a moment of great magnitude. A, a moment of great significance. A, a moment of great scale, of a great degree, a moment in history that, that was pivotal. But nothing in world history compares to what we just read about in Matthew chapter 27. Although it would not at that time been called a war, it was. There was a war taking place on Mount Calvary that only one individual could fight and win. And I thank God today that when Jesus hung there on that cross, and we're going to get to it, we're going to build back up to it in just a few moments, but when he said, kind of like MacArthur said that the proceedings are now over, when Jesus said it, he said it even shorter. He said it in one Greek word, it is finished. And there the war was over and there is peace available. And that peace is available to you. What I'd like, like to do this morning with God's help is to look at what makes this moment in time, in fact, I'm going to say the greatest moment in human history. And I believe we can make a case for that. What makes this the, the most momentous time in human history? This coupled, of course, with the resurrection, because without the resurrection, this moment on the cross would be like all the others that had happened prior to that, because many people had died on a cross, but none had died on a cross and risen from the grave like Jesus did. None died like Jesus died, because he died the Bible tells us without sin. But these three hours as he's hang, hanging there in darkness, these six hours total that he was on the cross. So we could say it one of two ways, either the six hours that changed the world or these last three hours that changed the world. Hey, listen today. And these three hours that he hung there and the last statements that he made, what difference it makes in your life today? I'd like for you to consider that with me. 
It's almost like the events that happened there at that moment and the immediate events, it's almost like this. It's like it puts three exclamation marks behind what happened on that old rugged cross. We see at noon that the Bible says that, that the land was dark. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land. All three gospel writers, the synoptic gospel writers, John doesn't mention this in, in this way, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke mention it this way. When the sixth hour was come, Mark says, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Luke says, and it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened. The word darken there obviously means to become dark or not able, listen to this, to not be able to give light. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Okay, let's just put it in our context today. Let's just imagine that we get out kind of near noon. Noon-ish. Noon 15, somewhere right in there. Imagine today that we walk outside and the security lights are on. And as you're driving, your headlights are on because it's total darkness. But it's noon. From noon till three. You'd have to be under the impression. What's going on? I mean, we've had some times maybe when, the, when it got dark. All of, are you, you follow what I'm saying? When it got dark all of a sudden, you think, whoa, this is eerie. No, wait a minute. From noon until three o'clock in the afternoon. No explanation is given. Really, because there's no natural explanation for this. This was a supernatural event. I submit to you this morning that this was not the result of a dust storm. No dust is mentioned. No, this is not the dust bowl. This is not, this is not a cloudy day. This is not an eclipse. A solar eclipse, I mean the longest recorded, I saw two different numbers. I saw one that said the longest recorded solar eclipse was six minutes and 39 seconds. Another was seven minutes and some odd seconds. This is three hours. Three hours that darkness is upon the land. Something significant is taking place here. I love what Spurgeon said. He said this, what a call must that midday midnight have been. Midday midnight. Is everybody listening to this this morning? What a call that midday midnight must have been to the careless sons of men. They did not know that the Son of God was among them, nor that he was looking out, working out rather, human redemption. The grandest hour, he said, in all history seemed likely to pass by unheeded. When suddenly night hurried from her chambers and usurped the day. I wish I could say something like that. Night hurried from her chambers and usurped the day. Everyone asked his fellow, what does this darkness mean? Business stood still. The plow stopped in mid-furrow. The axe paused, uplifted. It was the middle of the day when men are busiest, but they all were made to have a general pause. 
Not only on Calvary, but on every hill and in every valley, the gloom settled down. There was a halt in the caravan of life. No one could move unless they groped their way like the blind. I, I do not doubt there was a shuddering awe that came over the masses of the people and the thoughtful foresaw terrible things. Those who had stood around the cross and had dared to insult the majesty of Jesus were paralyzed with fear. I would imagine it was silent at that time, don't you? I would imagine no one was saying, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. No, all that stopped, friend. Darkness throughout the Word of God is associated with God's judgment. Do you remember in, in, in Exodus chapter number 10 and how that God calls for three days there to be darkness upon Egypt? In fact, it says, even a darkness which may be felt. You've been deep in a cave and and they turn the lights out and you almost feel like you can feel the darkness. The Passover itself, which this is the time of the year of the Passover, the Passover itself took place at midnight and, and other things that are in the word of God associated with, with darkness. The day of the Lord, Joel says that this is yet future, but the sun and the moon shall be dark. Jesus in Luke 22, there's, there's a lot of connecting points here, but in Luke 22, it says that this is your hour. He's speaking of the, the wicked men that had come to deliver him to Pilate. This is your hour. This is the power of darkness. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this cause came I, Jesus says, unto this hour. Darkness is associated with man's sin. In John 3, in verse number 19, that it tells us that men love darkness rather than light. Paul said of the gospel that, that the gospel would deliver you from the darkness unto the light. You have to wonder what's going on in these three hours when Jesus is on the cross dying. I'll tell you what it is, friend. It's your sin. It's my sin. Listen to this. The sin of all the people of the whole world of all time upon Jesus and the wrath of God is upon him in those hours. Listen, he entered into your darkness, into my darkness, that he might bring us to the light, dear friend, you see. It's the magnitude of what's going on there is way beyond what these human lips and this tongue can tell. But I must tell you, friend, it happened nonetheless. No one there could deny it. That darkness was upon the earth. And I believe that's exactly what was taking place was our sin was upon our dear Savior. At three o'clock in the ninth hour, the sun shined again. There's no denial that he's still there on the cross dying for sin. They didn't understand it then. They, they didn't associate all that there. But my friend, listen, that's exactly what is going on. Then the Bible tells us that he cried out. And he said, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathani which is out of actually Psalm 22.1. It's amazing to me that some of the chief priests that knew the Bible, the Old Testament, didn't catch on to that. Or at least they didn't say anything about it. Because he's fulfilling prophecy right there. As he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Some say, wait, he calls for Elijah. There was speculation about Elijah and his appearance. And, and so they say, wait, let's, let's see what's going to happen here. I don't think they were taunting him at this point. I think some maybe even thought that Elijah was going to show up on the scene. That, that great prophet that had called fire down from heaven. Maybe some of them are thinking he's going to call upon Elijah and Elijah's going to come and help. Oh, my friend, but listen, no, that's not what was happening at, at all. Because of your sin and my sin being upon him, he's experiencing in a way that I, I am not qualified to explain here today. But nonetheless, in a, a brokenness with the Father, a God-forsakenness as some referred to it, a mysterious brokenness relationship there between the Father and the Son that had never been before. And, and listen, I like what one man said. It surely is better to accept this knowing that we don't understand it fully than to try to rationalize it some other way. My God, he said, my God, still there's that relationship that's there. But listen, what's going on is the same thing with the darkness. Your sin, my sin is upon him. He's taken our separation from God upon himself. He's being separated from the Father so that you and I never would have to be. He experienced the loneliness, the brokenness that comes from sin, the shame of sin, not because he had sinned, but because you had sinned and I had sinned. We had broken God's commandments and the wrath of God was being poured out on him at that very moment. The anguish of God forsakenness then the Bible told us in verse number 50 that he cried out with a loud voice, which was very uncommon at the sixth hour of a crucifixion. You see, the way the crucifixion would work is that they are nailed there and, and they'd have a nail in their, in their feet and a nail in their hands. And, and really it would be death by suffocation because they would get too tired to, to pull themselves up to get their next breath. And then they'd go back down and then the, the weight of their body and the loss of blood. And most, most men, listen to me here this morning, most men passed out or, or fainted at that that point in time. But Jesus, the Bible says that after he said, I thirst and they gave him that drink. I, he, listen, you know why he did that? Because he had something very important to say right there. And he lifted up himself and he said in a victorious voice, he said in a strong voice. I think those soldiers standing around there were not used to that. They would hear men groan. They would hear men whimper. They would hear men sigh in despair. But to hear somebody at the end of their crucifixion in full control say, it is finished. No man had ever done that because no man could ever finish that work. We, we covered this, I realized just about a, a week ago as we had our friend day, it was such a great joy to preach on that, that one word in Greek, it's teletelestai, which is in, in our Bible, it is finished. But, but it was used, oh, listen to this, it was used how a servant would go to his master and say, master, that, that task you gave me, teletelestai, it's done. It's finished. It was used of a painter who would complete a picture and he'd step back and he'd say, Telestai, which means it is finished. The picture is complete. I'm going to enjoy this all over again because when Jesus died on that cross, the picture was complete, dear friend. All the blood that had been shed for man's sin culminated at that one moment of time. And he said, it is finished. The picture is done. 
It was used of a priest who would inspect the, the sacrificial animal and he would look over that animal to make sure that it was without blemish. And then he would say, tell it to Lestai. In other words, I finished the examination and I found this one innocent. And Jesus said, tell it to Lestai, it is finished. But the one that I like the most is used in the merchant world that when their taxes were paid or the bill was paid, that somebody would write across the receipt, they would write this word, tell it to Lestai, which means this, it's paid in full. Nothing left more to pay. Hey, listen, when Jesus died that day, friend, he did everything that's necessary for you to be saved. For you to say, well, I got to join a church is like to try to stamp it as paid in full again. And again, and again, and again, and again. No, 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 no. It was already paid. Hey, if it's already paid, you've got nothing less to pay. You just need to believe and receive. That's it. No, you don't try to harder. You don't get baptized. You don't try to be a better person. No, you trust the fact that he finished the work for your salvation. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's according to Luke's gospel. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost. They did not kill him. He gave his life for you. And then the exclamation marks. Boom! Did you feel that? That was the earth shaking. Because there was a great earthquake and the rocks rent in two. Man, come on now, you got to use... A little bit of imagination here. I mean, I'm just reading what the Bible said. Because I, just having been there in April, a lot of those tombs are out on that, that hillside near Gethsemane. And, and they're rock stone tombs. But they broke open. And, and the Bible talks about that earth shaking. Well, yes, it was an earth shaking moment. The earth shook. The veil of the temple was torn from the top down to the bottom. You say, yeah, what's that all about? Oh, dear friend. What that's all about is that was that, was that, that sacred garment, that, that sacred uh, curtain essentially that separated all, the, all of us from the most holy place that represented the presence of God. And on the day that Jesus died, you see the priest, the, the, the high priest would go in once a year and sprinkle blood back in the times of Moses upon the Ark of the, the Covenant, that, that Ark of the Covenant that contained the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that you broke. You say, I didn't broke them. Moses broke them. No, you broke them. And I broke them. We've all broken God's commandments. And every year the priest would come in and he'd take blood from that innocent lamb and he'd sprinkle the blood on what's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat because we deserve judgment. We deserve God's wrath. But the, those, those cherubims on either side of that Ark of the Covenant looking over there, representing the presence of God and God looking down, one more year he'd see the blood. But now the veil of the temple is torn from the top down to the bottom, saying the way to God is now open to all people. Once and for all. And then those that came back to life, maybe some that had been martyred or killed by some of those priests. Jesus said, you've killed some of the prophets. Maybe some of them came back preaching again. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that they came forth from the graves and they appeared to many. Yeah. 
is going on here? His death and his resurrection is so powerful that it brought the dead back to life like that. I think it's just God saying his death means your life when you trust him. The magnitude. Okay, I'll be honest. I feel like I still hadn't, hadn't even gotten close. You got another hour? Why is this moment such a big moment? Well, even those Roman soldiers got it. Those who had been taunting him now were paralyzed in fear. And they came to this conclusion. Truly. This was the Son of God. This was not another man. I mean, they'd crucified a lot of men probably by this point. Never with the effects of total darkness for three hours. Never with the effect of an earthquake. Never with the effect of people coming out of tombs. Something's different right here. It is because it was right there where the battle to get victory over sin, death, hell and the grave was fought and won by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He entered our darkness to bring us to light. He entered our separation from the Father to bring us to the Father. He experienced our death that we might have eternal life. Are you thankful for that? I think I understand a little bit better why Paul said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I can't even put all this in words. You know what? I don't feel I'm I'm in bad company now if Paul said that. I can't put all this in words. But it is his gift to you. And all you have to do, and in fact, all you can do is receive it. And you can receive it this very day. Because the war is over. And there is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, no, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean there's not going to be some conflicts along the way afterwards, some battles against this old flesh. We're all going to have that. But listen, believers, we don't fight for victory because that was already won. We fight from victory. That's different because he fought a battle you and I could never win. Thanks be to his holy name. Would you stand with me here this morning? I appreciate your kind attention. Lord, it's been our desire to bring the cross of Christ into closer view just through the word and some explanation to it. But God, quite honestly, I know that we've come up short of just the magnitude of that moment. But I thank you and I praise you best I know how 
that our Savior was willing to come and to die on a cross, experiencing such shame for our sin. And I pray here this morning, dear God, if there's anyone here that does not know you as their Savior, I pray this very day they would trust you in this very hour. That they would be that they would be saved from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.